across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. And may I say a very happy fifth birthday to us. Uh, that is us at Talk Radio. Uh, I haven't been here for the whole five years. Julie Hartley Brewer has. It's been quite a remarkable roller coaster ride. We'll talk a bit about that coming up a bit later on. But let's talk first about the weekend because it was quite a weekend, was it not? The new Britain forged its way towards yet more division and dilution as the streets were filled with protesters, both peaceful and violent, in different measure. On Saturday, families with young children marched in London against lockdown measures that are preventing people from living normal lives and making a living. Thousands upon thousands of demonstrators walked walked around in central London, unencumbered by the police to a large extent, who mostly looked a bit bewildered and confused about how to react because, of course, of what had happened the previous weekend on Clapham Common. In the end, there were a few arrests and some minor scuffles, but nothing really went too badly wrong. And I'm not suggesting for a minute that absolutely everyone in the lockdown protest was well-behaved because they probably weren't. But meanwhile, in Bristol last night, there was a full-scale anarchy as mobs of anti-government and anti-police provocateurs besieged part of the city, setting police vans on fire and a attacking officers in a violent rampage supposed to be uh, in support of, wait for it, peaceful protest. Eventually, the Avon and Somerset Constabulary regained control, but for several hours it was mob rule. Just seven arrests were being made, uh, despite over 20 officers being injured. Uh, some of the people who were taking part in the demonstration were spray-painting uh, the police station, trying to smash the windows of the police station. One guy on a skateboard uh, was doing skateboard tricks on his skateboard as a police van was on fire behind him. And of course, there are many now saying that it's the logical result of last year's events where a statue was pulled down and thrown into the harbour while police officers stood by and watched. There can be no doubt this is now a police crisis in this country because I don't think the police know what to do whenever they're confronted with a demonstration. We'll be asking John Rensel and Peter Hitchens and of course Norman Brennan, a uh, retired London police officer, will join us as well. They'll tell us what should happen next. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, we'll check in with Simon Calder at the travel desk where he's going to bring us the latest on holidays and vaccine passports now that Europe is in such much worse shape than we are. Angela Levin also joins us with all the news over the weekend about the Royals why William was left reeling by his brother's behaviour, proof that Meghan's marriage claims aren't true, and the next piece of the jigsaw in the bullying allegations at Kensington Palace. 0344 499 1000. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. What did you get up to at the weekend? If you're at any of the protests, we need to hear from you. If you've had a vaccination cancelled, we'd love to know what the reason given was, because we're hearing that there might now be a delay, uh, thanks to the EU and their mad policies. Uh, and how are you feeling about government advisors saying we need to keep lockdown measures in place for years? I say it's utter nonsense. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Let's not forget, of course, there's some action going on north of the border today as well, because there will be an official report, I believe, coming out a bit later on about Nicola Sturgeon and whether she misled the Scottish Parliament. Uh, it was leaked last week. She said, let's wait for the full report. So let's wait for the full report. I actually had a dream last night, and this may tell you more about my state of mind than anybody else, uh, that Nicola Sturgeon resigned. Imagine dreaming about that. Some people just have nice dreams. That's the sort of stuff I dream about. Let's talk to John Rental, Chief Political Commentator at The Independent. John, a very good morning to you. Good morning. Horrified by that glimpse into the Mike Graham subconscious. I know, but it was, very, it was actually, I mean, I don't have that very often sort of vivid dream that I remember. But I woke up this morning and I had this very vivid 
um, sort of vision of Nicola Sturgeon yeah. standing <laughs> standing at that podium that she stands at and just saying, you know, because of the um, pressure that I've brought to bear on the party, because of the story becoming all about me rather than independence, I'm terribly sorry, uh, but I'm now stepping aside. I can see it happening. Is that a, is that a wishful, wishful fulfillment dream or a, a, well, or do you know, a, the a funny thing, fear dream? Well, you know, the funny thing about Nicola Sturgeon is I used to be quite good friends with her when I worked in Scotland. When she was Alex Salmon's deputy, she and I used to get on famously. And in fact, so much so that the Mirror almost, um, in fact, endorsed the SNP uh, for one of the uh, elections in Scotland until Victor Blank stepped in, uh, who used to be then the chairman of the Mirror, who you'll probably remember was a big Labour Party donor, and they wouldn't have it. Thank goodness for Victor Blank. Well, I mean, in the end, it didn't work because, you know, now look where the SNP are. Uh, we should have endorsed them then, as it were. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> but, but, I mean, you know. but it's not going to happen anyway. It's not. She's not going to resign, uh, Mike, I don't think. All right, uh, well, because, we'll, play this, I mean, the... we'll play this back to you when she does. Yeah, well, that, 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 that's the, 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 the occupational hazard of the political commentator. Yes. But uh, the, the leak is that uh, she misled Parliament, but she didn't do so deliberately. Yes. Um, but and I... there's a huge difference between the two. And if she, didn't, if, she di- if she didn't do it deliberately, if she inadvertently misled the Scottish Parliament, all she has to do is uh, apologise for getting it wrong uh, and correct the record and uh, carry on as before. But the damage to the SNP has been done, as we've seen in, uh, in, in a lot of the recent Oh, I polls. don't think there's any question. And certainly there are those who know a bit more about the polling in Scotland and both you and I put together who say that this will definitely have an impact on them getting an overall majority. And it may well mean that they don't get that. But let's come back to that later on, because we've got more important things to talk about than Scotland right now. We've got to talk about the state of policing in this country after what happened last night in Bristol. Now, depending on you know who you are, People are saying, oh, well, it's just an expression of frustration. I don't see it that way. Um, I see it as, yes, there's always going to be mobs that want to take advantage of situations. And when there's an opportunity to have a go at the cops, the anarchists are all going to roll up and do it. But I mean, I, I genuinely don't. I genuinely think the police management in this country now don't know how to deal with any of this stuff. No, but they never have, uh, Mike, because it is it is quite difficult. I thought your, your, your suggestion that the, the policing in this country is in crisis because mm. a few people pulled down a statue and the government didn't respond uh, robustly enough. It's a little bit uh, over the top, I think. Well, it's not just one one event, John. I mean, look at what happened in Clapham Common last weekend. Look at what yeah, happens. No, it was terrible. Look at was, what's happened. It was very in, bad. Yeah. Let, so, so it's not it's not right to say that there was one incident uh, and that was it. There's been many incidents since the statue being pulled down. The police in this yeah. country have been given contrary instructions from various different heads of the police in different parts of the country. They've gone in too hard on some occasions, not gone in hard enough on others. I don't think they know what they're doing anymore. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, but have they ever? <laughs> I mean, these things are always. These things are always difficult, and you know, in different situations, the police uh, react differently, and that does uh, that does betray uh, an awful lot about police attitudes. I mean, especially uh, you know, intervening to, to to pull women out of that uh, that vigil mm. uh, on Clapham Common was 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 obviously uh, out of order. Whereas you know, if it's if it's young anarchist uh, thugs, uh, police are more likely to get involved. But if it's if it's football supporters. They'll just decide to, uh, to to leave them alone. Well, uh, I mean, is, there's a lot of football supporters who would say that's not true. Actually, if it's football supporters, they used to wade in on them much much more than they no, do no, but now. I mean, I meant the recent the, the recent uh, uh, Rangers uh, celebration oh, in, I see. in okay. Glasgow, which was dur- which was which was during um, whatever they've got up there, sort of tier tier X restrictions. 
Uh, and that was that was clearly an assembly that wasn't allowed under the rules. And yet the police just stood. Yeah, because stood by, that was a sensible, nothing. And said, yeah, but that was a sensible thing yeah. to do, John, surely. Yes, well, that's what they should have done in Clapham Common as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, all and that's what, and that's, they're, inco- they're and inconsistent. That's, but, but, but that's not what yeah. they should have done when the statue was being pulled down and thrown into a harbour because it was politically correct to do so. No, I think that's fine. I mean, yes, oh, you think that's OK? This, pulling, well, pulling down a, a, a slaver statue was, uh, yeah, that was, it was it was disorderly, but it wasn't, well, uh, it I wasn't would, threatening. I would anybody. bet you a pound Whereas, to a penny, John, that the people involved in pulling the statue down were also there last night writing slogans on the police station walls and chucking fire bombs inside police vans. No, I think I think there's a difference. Um, I, I think the statue was 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 clearly a political thing. It had been through a political process, you know, with with council committees refusing to take it down. Yeah, and all the rest because they had votes. Whereas, and they, they had, had, had votes, and the people of Bristol had decided to keep it up. Well, yes, I don't think they yes, had. They had. I think, yes, I think they had. Some, some of the council, some of the councils had. But I think that is a very different situation from what we saw in Bristol last night, which was just straightforward. Uh, uh, anarchist uh, thugs uh, out for a out for a fight uh, with the with the police and uh, you know yeah. the police and now they know uh, the police that they ought can... to be better at dealing with those yes. sort of things because that's this is been my going point. on since time immemorial. Yeah, yeah, of course. But this is my point. The reason why last night's happened was because they were they were wound up by people like Momentum that they should all have this you know let's all demonstrate because we need to have the right to peacefully demonstrate and then they decided to set fire to some police vans. I mean they're clearly well, idiots yeah. apart from anything else. <laughs> But that is always the danger, isn't it? Because that was a peaceful demonstration against uh, a bill which I think is uh, is very badly drafted and yes. will have to be redrafted. But according, uh, but according and, and to you, John. a legitimate demonstration. But according to you, John, what? it's an illegal demonstration in the same way the Rangers one was. Yeah, but I mean, I think in the Rangers one, the police should have stood aside. Well, they, um, well, they did. Uh, yes, I thought that was fine. Right. And, and that's what they should have done so, in Clapham. So but that's are you not saying... What, not so... what they sh- so and, you... and that's what they should have done for a peaceful demonstration against the bill. Oh. But as soon as it turned violent, as soon as the anarchists got in there and started uh, causing a ruckus, then obviously that's a different situation. Yeah, yeah, the but, ought to respond. But, you but you don't have to be Nostradamus to work out that if you've got a, a hashtag kill the bill or you've got momentum saying kill the bill, when you've got Labour MPs shouting through loudspeakers, take to the streets when there's a pandemic on, right, encouraging yeah. people to be lawless, that it's not going to end up like that. Well, that is that is true. Kill the bills, not the not, it's not the, the greatest slogan, slogan is put it? it that way. Because I mean, you can imagine, <laughs> you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Because you know what it means as well. It means killing police. You know, I yeah. mean, it's ho, pathetic. Ho, ho. Ho, very, ho, funny, ho. very funny joke. I know. Yeah. No, I think I thought that was terrible, and you know, obviously not my not my style of thing at all. But I think a peaceful demonstration, even with t- tasteless slogans, mm. uh, is 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 permissible and, and the police ought to uh, ought to ought to have allowed it. Yes. And, and indeed they did. I think in the afternoon it was fine. Yeah. And it seems by and large that the big uh, anti-lockdown demo on Saturday in London went reasonably yeah. well because the police, again, were relatively sensible. And I think that's my reason for saying it's a crisis is because I don't think there is one policy which the police are following. I don't think Cressida Dick's instructions to her police are the same as the Avon and Somerset chief constable's, um, you know, advice to his police. And I think that somebody needs to get to grips with that. Sure. I mean, but I think the real mistake was the heavy handed policing of the Clapham Common Vigil. I think that was where the police uh, made a mistake and where they got it wrong. Yeah. Uh, And I'm very surprised to see conservative politicians, um, you know, defending 
uh, defending that uh, that aggressive. Well, do you know what? Uh, I mean, there, there are, but there are unnecessary. But as ever, John, there are two sides to every story. And there's no doubt that there was a large body of the hall uh, in Clapham Common at some point in the evening. I'm not sure whether it was seven o'clock or seven thirty. Who were chanting "F the police"? Uh, people were holding up yeah. banners that said "ACAB," and we all know what that means without having to spell it out. So there wasn't also an element of people at that protest who were anti-police, and that's the problem with protest. There was. There was, but it was. I don't. It wasn't quite. The, it wasn't the same as what happened in Bristol, which was, you know, you're getting hooligans uh, with skateboards smashing smashing windows yes. and setting fire to police vans. I mean, that was not what was going on in Clapham Common. No, on Clapham Common, there was a bit of there was a bit of offensive and insulting. Uh, behaviour, which uh, which I thoroughly applaud in a free society. Yes, well, I don't actually applaud insulting behaviour uh, in the way that I saw it being um, manufactured at that particular demo, where women screaming into the faces of police officers, uh, you know, at full sure. volume. There's no need for that. That's not a peaceful protest, and it's not a vigil. However, the look of a, of a woman being held with her hands behind her back, face down on the ground, is a very bad look, as I said last week. But let's talk a bit about uh, uh, some of the other big stories this week as well, because we've got the, the biggest story really of the week is surely going to be the lockdown vote, which takes place later on in the week, where the MPs of this country are going to have to decide whether they're going to side with some of the people who would like to see the lockdown easing or whether they're going to impose more of these restrictive measures or the ability for the government to do so until October. Uh, yeah, no, I think that is going to be a, a, a big vote. And there will be, uh, I think, uh, conversations going on uh, right now between the government and uh, Conservative uh, anti-lockdown MPs um, about the terms of the renewal of the of the powers. And mm. I think there'll, I'll, I think there'll be some changes changes made because uh, I think the coronavirus legislation is uh, is draconian and mostly unnecessary. Mm. Um, and you know the idea that you know you've got to you've got to continue it because the furlough scheme for some reason has been uh, legislated for uh, through the coronavirus legislation does not mean you have to have all the other um, uh, infringements on uh, on civil liberties mm. in there. And I think uh, I I suspect you know Boris Johnson does not want a large conservative rebellion, even though you can afford one because yeah. obviously Labour will will presumably support any. Uh, any infringement on civil liberties in the name of uh, controlling the pandemic. Um, you know, Boris Johnson will want to keep the Tory party as united as possible. And I think I think there will be some kind of compromise before Thursday. Yes. And obviously, with uh, us now being in an election period, we have to be slightly careful about what we say about the upcoming election. But there is an upcoming election. And, you know, surely Boris will want to do something which might benefit his party in that election. Yeah, but I mean, um, appeasing the uh, the anti-lockdown crowd is not actually necessarily very popular with the uh, with the voters. So, uh, you know, we've had this discussion many, many well, I think, times. Well, well I, know, I know that you're... The people you're, in you're... this country are still very fearful of the virus and they, you know, yes, they would still becoming, rather... They'd they're... rather stay locked down until... Yeah, but John, uh, even, uh, until even the you... Until middle, of, middle even, of next decade. But John, even you in your whited sepulchre there would surely agree... <laughs> That you know the the attitudes in January are very different to the attitudes now, and as we move through the vaccination process, and as we come to a point where there's less and less virus around, that fear will dissipate, won't it? Well, I hope so. And um, but public opinion has has lagged rather behind, in 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 my view. I mean, I think I think attitudes ought to be changing uh, more quickly, mm. uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to them them doing so. But I mean, I do think that. You know, once we've got to the fifteenth of April, which is which is the target date for protecting um, all of the vulnerable uh, sections of the population uh, with vaccinations, then uh, you know we'll we'll hit that target 
early. So by the 15th of April, those people will be protected. And I think attitudes should start to change uh, then, if not before. Yes. And let's talk a little bit about uh, Sir Keir Starmer, because once again, he's got a bit of a problem on his hands in dealing with uh, one of the by-elections that's taking place. Uh, there's calls for within his own party to, 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 to deselect the candidate. He still has yet this morning on his Twitter to make any comment whatsoever about what happened in Bristol, which people are beginning to wonder, you know, does he have no opinion about that at all? Uh, well, I was just before I came on, Mike, I was trying to catch up with what he said um, on a, a different. Yes, uh, I know. Radio yeah, we channel. love it. We love it when he goes on uh, there uh, because everybody morning. turns it off and comes over to us. <laughs> so I assume I assume he has by now condemned what happened in Bristol. I mean, Nick Thomas Simmons, the uh, shadow Home Secretary, uh, was very fast out of the uh, out of the blocks last night condemning it. Uh, I don't think I don't think Keir Starmer will have any any trouble putting as much distance as he can. Uh, between uh, the Labour Party and that kind of thuggery. Um, and in fact, it's very useful, I think, to Keir Starmer because it, 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 it allows the, the sort of Corbynite um, uh, sort of fundamentalist wing of the Labour Party to, to detach themselves, I mean, to put themselves in the wrong by defending that kind of, uh, that kind of hooliganism mm. um, and, you know, possibly enable uh, Keir Starmer to expel more of them from the, from the Labour Party. And uh, that'll be a... That'll be what I call a Labour gang. Well, it will be. First one for a while and maybe for a while beyond that as well. But let's also talk finally, John, about the European situation, because obviously um, I watch with increasing incredulity uh, as they as they kind of career from one disaster to another. Every single time anyone from the EU opens their mouth, they seem to make it worse. I mean, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. Isn't yeah, it? no, ab ab absolutely. And the only explanation really is that it's sort of psychological uh, displacement activity because they can't stand Brexit and they can't stand the British um, having made it such a success of the vaccination mm. program. And of course, they don't they don't they deny till they're blue in the face that there's any connection between the two. But I mean, there's no there's no oh, question sorry. that know. Brexit Brexit made it easier for yeah. us to go our own way uh, on the vaccination. And, you know, that that they find absolutely unbearable. Uh, and, you know, understandably, I mean, if we were in their position, we'd, we'd absolutely hate it if the, the EU had uh, had put its own interests first and beaten us to it. Yeah. Uh, but that's, uh, you, you know, that is just, that's human psychology. I mean, it is starting to get very, very serious with this threat of, uh, of, of export bans and so on. I mean, you know, all this stuff about the EU being a rules-based organisation, and now they're talking about tearing up contracts that have been signed. Uh, just because you know they want the vaccine, yes. um, I mean, almost, which has already almost been as if, sold to us. Almost as if people's safety isn't really the main point of all of this. It's actually much more important to make a political point. And you're just kind of going, I mean, that's just bonkers. That's like saying, you know, that because there's a factory that makes, I don't know, English Wellington boots somewhere in France, that they're French yeah. Wellington boots. And you go, well, no, but because it's... the company actually <laughs> is owned by a British firm. You know, what are you talking about? Well, and it's it's dangerous, as you say, Mike. I mean, they are actually prepared to sacrifice the lives of um, EU citizens mm. for the sake of uh, for for the sake of this ridiculous political uh, squabble. And that I just think is is so so appalling uh, that I'm I'm you know I'm surprised there isn't more of a popular backlash in in, in the EU. I mean, perhaps there will be. I but, think the kind uh, of I think the they, EU think leaders kind of have is. really failed their people. Yes, I think I think it, they, they they've they've really done everything that, that the Brexit party. Um, wasn't able to do, which was to prove to them, to, to those people who were slightly unsure about whether it was a good idea to leave, uh, to absolutely convince them yeah. that it absolutely was. 
Yeah, well, I mean, generally the EU institutions haven't behaved too badly, although they haven't behaved brilliantly. I mean, it's the behaviour of Macron and uh, and and Angela Merkel in casting doubt on the effectiveness of of the AstraZeneca. Yeah, but it's the EU Commission uh, that's, 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 that's threatening, though. It's not it's not France and yeah, Germany that are making the threats. But no, but it's individual countries that have suspended their AstraZeneca vaccinations, and that's what that is what will lead directly to more deaths than would otherwise have been the case and i think that is absolutely unforgivable yeah i think you're absolutely right great to talk to you as ever john thank you very much indeed john rental chief political commentator at the independent we talked about a great many things there the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio let's talk now though to norman brennan retired police officer of london metropolitan police director of law and order foundation he's been very critical uh, of a lot of people including the media uh, in terms of the way the police are now having to deal with the way that they have to do their jobs norman a very good morning to you yeah, good morning, Mike. Thanks very much for joining us. I mean, very mixed um, sort of scenes is what I've been saying over the course of the weekend. Dreadful to see what happened in Bristol last night. Um, a lot of people saying, you know, this is what happens when you allow, um, you know, the, the, the sort of the, the lefties and the anarchists to take over, throw statues into into the harbour and the police stand by watching because that's what they've been instructed to do. My, my thoughts are always with the individual police officers, Norman, as you know. Um, but I think there's a bit of a crisis going on here because the, the people running the police in this country don't seem to know how to react anymore. You're absolutely right. The uh, British Police Service is in absolute crisis. Uh, We don't have the numbers. uh, We don't have the support. And it appears that uh, the police, every time they do something, they can't do right for wrong. They're caught between a rock and a hard place. And in answer to the first part of your um, introduction, uh, I'll give you an example. Clapham Common um, last week was meant to be a vigil. It was cancelled by the organisers, but uh, we knew that uh, people would turn up. So we put a number, or Cressida Dick, put a few uh, female officers there to interact. It then got overtaken and Sarah Everard was forgotten. She was the platform for anarchists and activists to cause mayhem, which is what they did. And the sad reality is, is the national media picked Mm -hmm. the anarchist side against the police. Politicians... Uh, Pretty Patel, the, ho- the Prime Minister, they all told the Metropolitan Police, police it, COVID regulations apply. Cressida Dick did exactly that. The national media, the following day, when Flack hit the um, fan, absolutely annihilated her. They ran for the hills when they should have backed her. The national media took professional protesters' side, one particular individual called Patsy, uh, professional um, demonstrator, mm-hmm got worldwide um, coverage, committed all sorts of offences whilst giving her media interview, and it was all about her. And it was policing that got the blame. And I'm afraid the policing did exactly what they should do. I stood by them 100%, and Cressida Dick, 100% with her. She shouldn't resign. The thing is, the national media have absolutely pushed the police to their knees, and their coverage is so biased now that nobody knows truth from lies. Well, Norman, I'll, I'll accept do. some. I'll accept some of that criticism, but I will not accept that the uh, the media have pushed the police to their knees because the only reason the police were on their knees is presumably because Cressida Dick told them to get on their knees in front of the Black Lives Matter protest, which was the biggest and most idiotic decision I think any police officer has ever been given. Well, she didn't tell them to do that. A handful of police officers did that. You will probably know, Mike, that uh, I condemn that. I didn't support it. And it's one of the biggest uh, sticks that the police are currently being hit with. My point is, is that when 
an incident happens, there are two sides of the story. If you're nicked, if I if I attended and nicked every person that accused the other person of doing something without listening to them, that would not be fair. And it's not fair that the police are condemned day in and day out for things that they're doing in the normal uh, carrying out of their duties. Yeah, but my and argument it, it, is not. Yeah, my argument, Norman, is not with the individual police officers. It's with the people like Cressida Dick. And I mm. did call for her to resign because I don't think she's done a very good job. And similarly, the bloke who's in charge of Avon and Somerset to instruct the police to watch the willful destruction of a statue in Bristol, which has been actually voted on by the people of Bristol to be kept up, to allow a mob to run right and do whatever the hell they want. I mean, that could have gone horribly wrong. And you might say to me that that's why the police stood back. But nevertheless, it gave the impression that the police were quite happy for this to happen. I'll be quite honest with you. Um, I despair at some chief constables. I despair at some superintendents the one you refer to uh, in Bristol. You're right, um, the police have made mistakes. Um, they didn't police the Black Lives Matter in the correct way they should. The police are called, are accused of two-tier policing. The reason why uh, the Met didn't go tough on Black Lives Matter, it was after George Floyd's uh, death, and the commissioner and chief constables mm. knew that there was likely to be wide-scale rioting throughout Britain. Fortunately, there wasn't at that time, but the backlash has been absolutely huge. Last night at Bristol, police officers, not many numbers in numbers, uh, but enough to sort of deal with what they thought they needed to deal with. Suddenly, the crowd swelled to six or seven hundred, probably more than that. But this was the troublesome group. And they trashed the police station. Twenty police officers were injured too seriously. Um, 12 vehicles were damaged, some of them damaged forever because they were torched mm. and the police could not cope. They had to call for reinforcements mm. from outside counties. Now, what I would say is this, Mike, that was one police station, one incident. If this is an incendiary, which, again, someone I've missed out at the moment, last week the Labour Party gave very, very uh, vocal mm. incendiary speeches yes. and I believe they too also stirred it up. If it was 10 police stations, we would never cope. What happens if it was 50 police stations? And I think that is likely. There are groups of people out there in Britain today that are angry, they're activists, they're interested in their rights. Sadly, many of them don't know the responsibilities. We do not have the numbers to police the streets of Britain. We can barely cope. We're coming out of COVID and it's like the perfect storm. Well, the perfect storm has come. I've spoken to you about it, Mike, and many other people. This is the tsunami. And I'm afraid unless the government and policing can get a grip on what's going on by the end of this year, and I hope I'm wrong, I believe that there will be all our anarchy on the streets of Britain. Mm. And when I say that the media um, push the police, what it basically is, is that I see these officers, I meet them, I drink with them, I know them, I know what policing is all about. And when you deal with a demonstration or when you deal with an incident and you've got a camera shoved so far up your face, you can see the hairs of your nostril, that is not how we can police. And when the media then give a complete one-sided biased coverage, every TV channel 
There is never yeah, well, any. Yeah, hang on, Norman. Well, let's let's given. face it. Let's face it. The police they need to get smarter as well as as, as perhaps get more enforcement uh, techniques. Because when you're confronted with someone like the woman that you're describing at Clapham Common with the red hair, uh, Patsy, mm-hmm. you know, if you know that that's what she's doing, mm-hmm. and I saw the videos of her shouting in the face of a police mm-hmm. officer, and I could see that she was deliberately provoking them, and she wanted to be thrown to the ground. That doesn't excuse it happening, and it doesn't mean that doing it is a good idea. Well, the thing is, what do you do? You're caught between the devil and a rock and a hard place. Police are there to police. Surely they've got other of... ways of removing people than chucking them on the ground and putting their hands behind their back. Well, some, when somebody's struggling, when somebody doesn't want to be arrested, they're being offensive and abusive, and there are hundreds around there. At the end of the day, when you make an arrest, you have to carry out that arrest. And I've dealt with hundreds of arrests where we've ended up on the ground. In fact, many violent um, arrests when people are obstructive, uh, and offensive and struggling uh, and a violent end up on the ground. When you're photographed, it never looks lovely. Right. But the thing is, is the, the police have got a job to do. No, I accept all that, Norman, and I, I, I take your point. But all I'm saying is, is they need to get cleverer. Uh, if they're going to blame the media for the way that they are portrayed, they're going to have to portray themselves maybe slightly differently. Norman, I appreciate your time. Thank you as ever. Norman Brennan, retired London police officer, director of Law and Order Foundation. Norman and I agree on a great many things. There's no question that there are ghastly, horrible groups and individuals out there uh, who would like to defund the police, who would like to have a go at the police, who would like to set fire to every police station in the land. Nobody in this country wants that. No right thinking citizen wants the police to be coming under attack. Simply not the case. But the police have got to get cleverer at dealing with these professional agent provocateurs, haven't they? Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now it's time to say a very good morning to Mr Peter Hitchens. Peter, how are you? Morning. So far, so good. Thank you, Mike. Yes. Um, interesting piece you put out this morning about numbers, because we're hearing an awful lot from people, particularly those defending the actions of the police at the moment, that they don't have enough people. Uh, you would suggest that that's not true. Well, some years ago, when I wrote a book on the whole police and criminal justice crisis uh, called The Abolition of Liberty, I went down to what was then the National Archives, a place where you could actually look at the, the, the physical books. Mm. Uh, and I found, looking back, that if you if you checked the numbers of police and, and measured them against the population at the time, uh, that in fact there'd never been so many as there were in the, the early years of the century. In fact, they peaked at about 144,000. This is England and Wales in 2009. Uh, they then fell a bit. Uh, they're now climbing again. I think there's something, if you put in the British Transport Police, something around about 135,000 now in England and Wales. So that's quite a few more than, mm. than for instance, you had in 1951 when there were 63,000. Uh, and you could go on. I mean, the numbers, the, the numbers with which they used to manage to patrol the streets effectively before the mid-60s were much, much lower than they have now. The other thing you have to remember is the police have been relieved of quite a lot of duties. They no longer have to secure commercial premises. They don't do parking. They practically, as far as I can see, abandoned doing traffic patrols. Mm. Uh, they also used to do what the Crown Prosecution Service does now. They were in charge of prosecutions in magistrates' courts, and they don't do that either. And they've also been supplemented with tens of thousands of, of white-collar uh, back-office staff who they never had before the 1960s. So it's always seemed to me that the complaint of not having enough people uh, to patrol the streets preventively has been empty. Yeah. Uh, what it is is a complete change in what the police 
actually themselves want to do, and they don't really want to be slogging along a wet street uh, in on, on their own, preventing crime. They they prefer the current method of waiting for crime to happen and then reacting to it. Well, think about that for a moment. Uh, it's sad but true uh, that if you are uh, attacked, robbed, uh, or, or anything horrible happens to you, a police officer can't actually do much for you mm. unless he's good or she is good at first aid. Uh, the thing has already happened, and the, the the spilt milk can't be can't actually be put back in the bottle. The really crucial purpose of the police is to prevent these horrible things happening in the first place. And people will say, "Well, it's it's all petty crime you're talking about." To which I reply, "To most people, petty crime is what they're likely to experience. Mm. It may be petty in statistical terms, and petty to a, a, a lofty journalist sitting somewhere miles from trouble. But if you live on a rough estate," and somebody is smashing your windows or making your life intolerable with noise and intimidation, that's petty crime to them. But it's not petty to you. It can ruin your life. It can yeah. drive people into serious mental illness and perhaps to suicide. So these are the things which the police no longer prevent or do. And I think that that's what they were set up to do. They should return to doing them. And they then have much better relations with the public as they used to do. And the current extremely chilly relations between the police and the public uh, would, would would come to an end and we would return to being their friends and they would return to being our friends mm. instead of referring to us as they often do these days contemptuously as civilians as if as if they were some kind of elite corps and we were just <laughs> a yeah, I mean, do you think the advent of, of the sort of uh, Marxist organisations like what we saw last night, the anarchists, I mean, there's an anarchist group in Bristol who have been tweeting out quite openly um, that they were there uh, to try and disrupt the police, but they were doing it in a peaceful manner until the police then started wading in with pepper spray. Now, I don't have any pictures of the pepper spray being used, so I have no idea if that allegation is true. But is there now more of, a, of, of this kind of rump uh, rather like it is in America, of, of people who wish to literally do away with the police because that's their ideology and they'll stop oh, at nothing until they do it. I don't know about that. Maybe that, that such people are always going to be a minority in any, in any serious society. And obviously, I can't comment on what happened in Bristol directly, not having been there right. or seen it. But I can say, as I, as you, I think we've discussed before, I, I used to be a Bolshevik revolutionary. I used to take part in demonstrations which were none too peaceful. And I would say without any hesitation that, uh, that, that some of us wanted trouble and some of us wanted more trouble than others. And, uh, and, and we got it. And the police in, in those days certainly behaved with extreme restraint, mm. uh, given what we were trying to do and were very hard to provoke. Uh, I regret greatly the things that I did in those days, but uh, there's no question at all that there were elements on the, on the political left which wanted trouble to, to change the political atmosphere of the country. Mm. And people will do this. And I very much sympathize with the police when they're attacked. I always, always have, actually, and, and, I, and, and I always will. I think that, that, that remembering the way that they, they behaved back in those days, I was quite impressed. Yeah. No, I think I think I think we all don't like to see. I mean, any right-thinking person does not want to see police officers being attacked. I mean, at one point yesterday, I believe that uh, a fire, a sort of a, an incendiary of some kind, was thrown into a police van where there was police officers still inside it. You know, which then becomes a much more serious thing. It's no longer just kind of you know left-wing anarchistic japes. It's actually you know possibly attempted murder. But I mean, don't you also think, for example, because you said this at the weekend before Bristol. Um, that you know the protest that happened on Saturday was a much more good-natured event, but you could see in the faces of the cops there they weren't quite sure what to do. They didn't really know how to react. Well, it's an interesting illustration of how civil society can make a difference. Mm. Uh, the, the, there was an awful lot. I'm, 
it's I think there's been some mistaken analysis of what happened in, in, in Clapham the week weekend before last, and, and and maybe the police have been subject to some unfair criticism for for what happened there. But I I would say that there's no doubt that a, that an awful lot of people who previously ignored uh, the change in the police into this shouty overbearing militia, which has, has been taking place in the past year, uh, that that suddenly jumped out of a small minority of commenters and, uh, and, and, and media into the mainstream, and the police didn't like it at all. And I think, uh, therefore, you, it just goes to show how if civil society mobilizes and criticizes a policy, it changes it. And I've no doubt the police behavior at the weekend in London was influenced by mm. the criticism of Clapham. Well, that just shows what could or would have happened if civil society had mobilised itself against this crazy lockdown well, exactly. a year ago. Well, exactly. it, it really can make a difference. If, if, the, if, if the commentariat, if the legal profession, if, 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 if politicians say, this is wrong, it's a mistake, it really can make a difference. But they wouldn't do it. So yes. we've heartened into this lunacy from which there appears to be absolutely no escape of endless uh, economic and damage and endless restrictions of to, of, of liberty, which to, which just seems to go on forever and ever and ever, and has become a permanent feature of our society, because it hardened into that without opposition a year mm. ago. No, indeed. Uh, but also, let's not forget that the original purpose of the Saturday, of the Sunday march in Bristol, and I'm sure there were others around the country, was against this new police bill, which is seeking to prevent protest in any way, which is sort of deemed to be by the powers that be a bit of a nuisance. Well, in that case, they 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 they, they kicked themselves in. Well, the, they did. In the backside, didn't they? I mean, it, 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 it couldn't, they couldn't have made the case for more police powers better than by behaving in this stupid fashion. Right. You have, it's, it's in a society where people restrain themselves intelligently, you have less heavyweight enforcement of the law. That goes back to Edmund Burke. You, you, if, if people behave themselves, there's no need for a strong state. It's in the decline of our behaviour towards each other and, and indeed uh, our, our general lack of understanding of our own liberty, which has led to the creation of this horrible strong state in the past uh, 20 odd years, which is what I was writing about when I, when I wrote that book back in 2004. And you also said at the weekend that um, one of the reasons you don't any longer take part in these types of demonstrations is that you kind of feel that... Um, they, they show weakness, that they don't really mean anything, they don't prove anything, and that the powers that be simply laugh at them. Well, I'm afraid that's so. I've taken part in a lot of demonstrations, and I can't think of a single one that achieved its, <laughs> uh, that achieved its objective. I mean, there, there have been protests in the world which have achieved objectives, but I haven't been on any of them. And in many cases, they, uh, people have attributed to demonstrations things which would have happened anyway, because at uh, uh, the high levels of politics, people were beginning to shift. Uh, and uh, would have acted anyway. I don't think demonstrations made any difference. But in general, I remember being on a demonstration years ago, and a, a very clever one of my Bolshevik comrades turned to me and said, "Well, this is a, this is just a demonstration of impotence. You see, here we are wandering along the street. No one's going to pay any attention to us. Uh, you don't ever see a, a demonstration by the road lobby or the oil industry, uh, but they seem to get their way an awful lot of the time. That <laughs> sank in. I, right. I, 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 if, if people want influence government. Going and wandering about the streets of London on a Saturday afternoon is a pretty uh, un, um, well, pretty ineffective way yes. of doing it. Well, rather, so I, rather, just, rather, I, I just don't have to explain why I don't really take part in these things anymore. No. I think they, they, they are people fool themselves. They see lots of people who agree with them walking at their side, mm. and they don't 
course, take notice of the millions of people who don't agree with them who are sitting at home. No, quite. And I mean, all you've got to do is look back to the days when a million or more people marched in London to stop the war in Iraq and to stop the invasion of Iraq. And they, many of them under the banner of Stop the War Coalition. And of course, the one yeah. achievement of Stop the War Coalition was that they didn't stop the war. Alas, no. And it, 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 is, it remains the case. It's a huge failure, again, in, in my trade, as there has been on, on, on Syria and Libya, too. A huge failure in my trade, a huge failure in the political class, a huge failure in the civil service. I and mean, I still say that the Iraq disaster will not have been acknowledged by the British government until Elizabeth Wilmshurst, the only civil servant who actually resigned in protest against it, gets a very, very high-level decoration. I would say a, a, a Knight Grand Cross of the Order of the Bath would be the minimum uh, for having having done that courageous and solitary thing. But most people just let it happen, uh, just as they've let this current disaster happen, and therefore uh, 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 demonstrations don't change this. No. But, I mean, how do, we, how do they go forward? Because, I'm, I mean, we just had Norman Brennan on, who you probably know is a spokesperson for the Law and Order Foundation, a former police officer. He fears that we're going to see more of this. We're going to see more kind of insurrection, if you like, of people having a go, just because we know there are lots of people who like doing it. I mean, you know, loads of people uh, in Bristol, no doubt in every inner city of this country, would love to have a little bit of a punch-up with the cops of a Saturday night when the summer comes and it's nice weather uh, and they can all be out and about. Well, those people who engage in that kind of folly uh, should understand that if they really seriously believe in the liberty they claim to be pursuing, that they're doing the opposite of what they intend, uh, that they will produce support for the police uh, and indeed for stern measures against them, even from people like me who believe strongly in human liberty. It is stupid uh, beyond belief if, uh, if you believe in liberty to engage in this kind of activity. And anybody with any sense should discourage it and nobody with any sense should take part in it. Mm. Let's talk about something else you wrote about this weekend, and that is the power of the flag, um, because a lot of debate took place last week, not least here at Talk Radio, uh, about uh, the two BBC presenters who made fun of Robert Jenrick's flag um, and were roundly criticised for it. I criticised them for it, not because I'm a great believer in waving union flags around all the time, but just because I thought, you know, we're paying these guys. Uh, we're not paying them to be comedians. We're paying them to be uh, intelligent, intellectual kind of interviewers of politicians and to be kind of smugly, sixth form-like sort of sniggering because you think the flag's a bit small was quite beneath them. Well, two separate issues here. One is the behaviour of the BBC presenters, which is typical of the BBC. They... they they, they, they seem to assume a certain attitude towards flags uh, that they thought that they presumably hold and they thought everybody held. Uh, and, and and as a result, they, they they appeared to a lot of people to be sneering at the flag itself. Yeah. Uh, the, other, the other issue is, is whether Mr. Jenry uh, ought to be uh, displaying a large national flag uh, in his spare room uh, and whether it is correct in my, for government ministers to identify themselves with the flag in a, in a parliamentary democracy with an adversarial parliament? I say not. The government is the government. It's not the nation. Uh, the, the, the prime minister is the head of the government. He's not the head of the state. Uh, the flag should, should represent the whole nation. There are many people who don't agree with Mr. Jenrick, who don't think he should be a minister. There are many people who don't agree with Mr. Johnson, who don't think he should be prime minister or that his party should be in power. They cannot appropriate the flag of the whole nation. Uh, to, to to beautify their activities and make out that they're serving the whole nation. They are they are partisan government. E even when they are doing things which are in, in the national interest, they should always remember that. That's one of the reasons why we have a monarchy. 
so that people in government uh, aren't identified with the nation. Therefore, it's easier for them to be criticised and easier for them to be removed from office. It's, it seems to me to be very like the Blair government's muscling in on monarchy and its power grab. And it's, it also tried to appropriate the Union Jack. So there are two completely separate issues here. The BBC, the BBC uh, presenters figuring is one thing. But I don't think ministers should, should sit alongside flags. I don't think they should give press conferences with flags. They aren't the President of the United States, who is the head of state. They are ministers in a, in, in a, in a partisan government. And the same goes for this ridiculous new press briefing room, which is being uh, constructed. Oh, the one down. built by the Russians. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, where you turn, isn't it? Where you want to press Absolutely, yeah. Build. A couple of they secret microphones here and there. Yeah, microphones, they're good at. But I mean, amazing, actually. They flat in Moscow for start. They even, they even put them in my car. Actually, on, on the subject of that, what have you made of the latest kind of um, joshing, for want of a better phrase, between uh, Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin? You know, Biden puts out this rather bizarre claim, not bizarre claim, but I mean, unusual claim, should we say, for President of the United States of America, that, that, that Putin is a killer. Putin then um, sort of says to him that he hopes his health remains good and that they should have a debate about it. Um, it's all very strange, isn't it? It is very strange. But one of the things that was, uh, I mean, there's, there's no doubt that, the, that the, the Russian state does kill people. I don't think it's entirely alone in this in the world, but I, it, it, let's, not, let's not beat about the bush. We know that it, it's tried to kill people uh, here beyond doubt. The difficulty is in attributing direct responsibility to, uh, to, to anyone here because the Russian state is a, is a chaotic and often gangsterish thing, not necessarily under the control of the Kremlin. But it, it, what is strange is these constant assertions that the, the, the Russian government has been intervening in the internal politics of other countries. I have no doubt that it does intervene in the internal politics, particularly of its neighbours. Uh, but I think one needs evidence before one makes these claims, and I've seen very little of it. And it, an exchange of that kind makes Joe Biden look slightly childish and, uh, and Vladimir Putin look rather more adult. And it doesn't do any good. I think if you're dealing with Russia, uh, then I think a more, it's in general, a more adult approach is necessary. Russia is, is often done bad things, but it also often it simply acts according to its interests. And if, if we push it around in the way that we have been in the past, we create unnecessary trouble. I, 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 my problem is I know a bit about Russia. And as in almost all political and, and any other major argument, it's a real disadvantage to know anything about this sort of, kind of discussion. It really is. And that's unfortunately the world in which we live. And I was going to say, I mean, the whole issue of flags has become something which I suppose we notice more now because it has become a symbol of something. And I'm assuming, really, that the use of the of, of, of the Union Jack in this country by the government is to kind of delineate that we are no longer in the European Union. I mean, that's their kind of subliminal message in the same way that whenever you see anyone appearing, as I did yesterday, Myred McGuinness, um, from the European Union was on with Andrew Marr and she had a European Union flag behind her and I tweeted out, you know, I didn't see him having a go at that because the EU has more flags, I think, than anybody. Well, there is an element of that for certain, but there is also this, this attempt, as I say, I, the, the, the EU has had nothing to do, for instance, with the big government press conferences on COVID where ministers and indeed experts and scientific and medical officers have appeared beside Union Jacks. Uh, that has nothing to do with with, with the issue. And it, 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 I, I, again, I, if, if the government's going to make us independent of the, of the EU, then fine. But I don't think it needs to do so by these by, by these uh, by, by claiming that it is itself the government of the 
the whole people. That was the outrageous claim which the Blairites, if you remember, made back in 1997. Yes. They said the New Labour was the political arm of the British people as a whole. Now, that's never true in right. the free country as a political party. It's, it, 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 it's, it's a, that, that's the first step towards a one-party state, believing that. Yes. They also, they also, kind of, they also coined that dreadful phrase, didn't they? Cool Britannia. Um, and, and basically caused the splitting up of one of the great rock bands in this country by oh, yeah. inviting them into Downing Street. And then, and then actually, I think the, the, the attack which they then made on the British Constitution, which was huge and still largely acknowledged, uh, was done under the cover of, of, of a British flag. And the thing I always re recollect is that, that ridiculous uh, fake demonstration in Downing Street mm. when Blair arrived at number 10, uh, where the, the street was filled with people waving little Union Jacks. Well, the truth is that, of course, you can't even get into Downing Street uh, as a normal human being. They'd been bust in. They were Labour, Labour Party workers, most of whom hated the Union Jack as, as much as they hated any flag. I never found all that much, uh, all that much active patriotism in the, in the Labour Party of those days, or quite frankly, since. So, it, it, and yet it's this event, having been filmed, is still shown over and over again without anybody pointing out that it is as fake a demonstration as anything that any dictatorship has ever mounted. People shouldn't be allowed to fake patriotism. If they're patriots, then they should show it by their actions, not, not pretend it by waving flags about. I think you're absolutely right. Peter, well said. Thank you very much indeed. Peter Hitchens from the Mail on Sunday there uh, talking to us again uh, once more with great relish and a good deal of, uh, of, of sympathy and a great deal of intelligence as well. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's go to the phone. Steve is in Birmingham. Hi, Steve. Hello, Mike. How hey, are you? I'm All good, right? mate. How are you doing? What do you want to say? Yeah, hello, Mike. I listened uh, with interest to your uh, discussion with Norman Brennan. Yes. And I must pull you up and totally disagree with you on okay. one point. Go on, then. Which was, when you said to him, why is it necessary to throw someone to the ground and put the handcuffs behind, behind the back mm. um, as though, it, you know, it, this was the worst thing that ever happened? that could happen. I was a police officer for 25 years, and believe me, Mike, I would love you to get a hard helmet on, get a stab-proof vest, and go out with the police and try and assist them to arrest someone who does not want to be arrested. They well, don't just put their hands out, Mike, and go, yes, officer, arrest Yeah, all right, well, let me ask you a question, Steve. When you're confronted by a woman, right, smallish woman, with red hair, long red hair, shouting at you. Why are you arresting her anyway? I don't know. I wasn't there. That's what I mean. Well, that's what I mean. And I get your point. If it's a if it's a burly individual, somebody who's violent, somebody who's a threat to you, I get that. I understand that you have to do those kinds of things. I think in this instance, however, it was unwise. Well, it may have been unwise, but you wasn't there. I wasn't there. The officers just were there, uh, had enough evidence to arrest her. No, they didn't have any. Because she had, no, because she, no, she, she wasn't. She, she was being a nuisance, and she was not committing a crime, and so there was no need to arrest her. How do you know that you were? Well, because she doesn't appear to have been charged with any crime, so therefore she didn't commit one. Just because a lot of people are arrested and not charged for various reasons. Yeah, but but if you start throwing people, yeah, but hang on a minute, Steve. If you start hurling people on the ground because they haven't done anything wrong that you think they might have done, I don't think that's the way to proceed, is it? Well. Let me, if you let me speak. Of course you no, can. it's not. But, but how do you know she was hurled to the ground? Let me tell you, Mike, that policemen are just like you and me. Police women are just like you. 
let me say that if someone doesn't want to be arrested, a woman of five foot tall with red hair and long nails can fight. They can fight, they can struggle, they can scratch, they can bite, they can be abusive. Yeah. Uh, moods get, uh, you know, changed. I've had girlfriends like that, Steve. You don't have to convince me. Yeah. That's not that's <laughs> not the point. But the point is, is that when the police are under such scrutiny as they are at the moment, I think they have to be quite careful about doing that kind of thing. Because the problem with that uh, particular episode was that her picture, and I accept that she did this deliberately in order to get her picture on the front page of every paper, her picture was on the front page of every paper, and it was a very bad look for the police. And all it did was made the police look as if they were overbearing and behaving in a way that they didn't need to. And exactly as Norman Brennan says, they're damned if they do, they're damned if they don't. Well, no, because so if, the, if the police officer in question, and I'm sure you've done this, Steve, and I'm sure you've made this decision, walked away from it, what difference would that have made? Would she have followed the police officer and kept shouting? I think that would have diffused it, frankly. Do you really? Well, yeah. I don't, because she would have carried on shouting and abusing. Well, yeah, but it's not illegal and to shout at people, is it? Like you and me, they come to a yeah, state, but... public order offence. Public order shouting is not a public order, order offence, Steve. Well, she was arrested, I understand, for a public order offence. Mm-hmm. Whether she was later charged... She was later released, happened. is my understanding. Well, exactly. She wasn't charged. Right. But it doesn't, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't dispute the view that she should have been arrested if she was constantly harassing, shouting and screaming abuse at the police. You've got, you've got to remember the policeman can um, also be... Um, subject to being shouted at and take offence. Uh, yeah, but, but, but if, that, yeah, but, but if that's the case, Steve, then the police have to not be surprised that people will react in the way that they have done because they probably yeah, you, made a mistake. Yeah, but you can't have policemen just walking away when they say... Well, well no, of course not. But, Steve, you're kind of proving my point. In some no, cases... Not. Yes, you are, because you're saying, oh, you have to arrest everyone. No, no sometimes... sometimes. I, hang on, are you not going to let me speak, Steve? Yes, go on. Please. Sometimes you have to walk away, right? Yeah, but nobody said the police arrested everyone. They only arrest people who commit offences. She didn't commit an offence. You just admitted it. She didn't commit an offence. Shouting at a police officer is annoying and it shouldn't be done and I wouldn't encourage people to do it. But in that Did situation... She Did she swear? Did she swear? I have no officer? idea. No, because you weren't there. This is no, what I've seen. I've seen a video of her shouting, right? She was not swearing in that video, but that doesn't mean she wasn't swearing at another time. But if you're going to start arresting people for swearing, you're going to start. You better start building a lot of jails, mate. Well, swearing at someone in a public place is a public order offence, Mike. It can be. It can be, but it's an awful it lot. Of, an awful lot of the time, the police don't arrest people for it, do they? No, they don't. Why not? They, because they diffused the situation. Yeah, I'm exactly. Not saying they Thank the situation you. So he should have diffused the situation, and instead of finding finding the police under the uh, the the cosh of public opinion because of what they did, and it look and it looking bad. It's as simple as that. It was a media thing. No, it wasn't. Exactly as Norman Brennan said. Oh, well, the media is supposed to not report what happens then. They can show you certain things. So, would you rather have control of what the media publishes? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not saying that at all. I've got no interest in what the media... What the media... uh, is up to them. I'm talking as an ex-police officer. My point is that it is not 
easily to arrest someone, whatever she was arrested for, rightly or wrongly. Yes, but it would have been more sensible. Steve, you're missing my point. I'm not saying it's easy to do. What I'm saying is it might have been simpler and more um, efficacious, if you like, for them to have not arrested her in the first place. And then we wouldn't be even having this conversation. <laughs> so what, 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 what do you think the police should, should have done? I'm, I think I'm they should have walked to... Because well, you I... know as well as I do, I'm Clapham Common, there was Rentamob. Everyone agrees Rentamob turned up. And well, well, there was Rentamob, yes, and I and I agree and I agree with that. But if you go after Rentamob, the people who were shouting "f the police," if you want to start arresting all of them and you want to start arresting the people that are holding up banners, fine. But I don't think she was one of them. Well, I keep saying to you, you don't know. Uh, you weren't there. No, I, I, no, I realise that. I can that. only go on what I've seen in the media. What yeah. I've heard, like, well, exactly. People like Norman Brent. Exactly. But what I can tell you is that the police have come out of it looking bad. Therefore, would you not expect them to learn from that, as they did on Saturday? They didn't start throwing anybody to the ground on Saturday in any big numbers. They did it to a couple of people, but mostly they allowed the demonstration to go ahead. And I think they learned from what happened the previous weekend. So clearly, you know, I'm right. Um, and, they've, that's, and they've taken that lesson. <laughs> Mike, I, you know, you're always right, but in this instance, <laughs> you're you. wrong. Thank you very much indeed. Well done, Steve. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Andrea Nottingham says the Talk Radio movie would star Lady Penelope and Parker. You would drive a pink Rolls. Well, very possibly, Andrea. Thank you very much indeed. Let's say a very good afternoon to Angela Levin. Angela, I'm sorry we're so late for you. I'm afraid I got a bit carried away with the uh, the conversation about the police earlier. Uh, I've been laughing. <laughs> <laughs> good. Um, now, listen, let's talk about uh, what I think is a very significant piece of journalism in the Sunday Times this weekend because there was an awful lot in it. Um, that, uh, that clearly Prince William had given the green light to his friends to say. I mean, I was yeah. fascinated by what he said about um, the, the relationship with his brother, which is clearly more or less broken down to, to almost nothing, but also interested yeah. in his kind of constitutional view as well about how he sees the monarchy kind of going forward. Yeah. Um, he's not going to interfere. Prince Charles, his father, has been um, painted with the awful thing that he's going to interfere tremendously if and when he becomes king, because he's got all these um, woke ideas and old fashioned views. But in fact, he was found to be before his time mm. about plastic and climate change and all those things. Right. But William said he's not going to be like his father. The next heir is always going to be different, but he's going to ask more questions and he's going to try and establish something that um, feels right for the community, and I, and I thought that was a very mature and yet modest thing to get across. Yes, particularly because he, when he was ten years ago, uh, he wasn't very keen to become an heir to the throne. Mm. He was from childhood, but he wasn't. And he explained this is explained as well in in this very well written piece that um, he was being an air helicopter pilot, saving people. Um, who were very ill or who'd uh, had a, an accident. Yes. He started at 5.30 in the morning, came back very late at night, and he decided to go on a very brief jolly. And he was hugely criticised for not being in Westminster Abbey and saying that he's lazy and he doesn't want to be king. Mm. But it was just the fact that at, at that time, he needed a bit of space because of the work he was doing. Sure. I thought he came across really well. I thought he did as well. And also his, his conversation about how upset he was for the Queen 
given the way yeah. that Harry was 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 um, sort of um, behaving and the whole yeah. business of of how you you could really see that that what they're doing clearly is setting out the difference between William and Harry and that William yeah. also suffered a terrible loss because let's not forget you know he was also Diana's son he was you know William Harry wasn't the only one um, and he just comes across as just a far more serious thoughtful you know and and more kind of a less self-indulgent individual doesn't he yes he's very different from harry he's now presenting himself as someone who's got a sense of duty mm. and cares about the country and the people who are suffering and the frontliners in the nhs but also very very much so um his grandmother the queen and what really was the end of his positive relationship with harry for the moment was when the queen said he could the the couple, Henry and, and Meghan, couldn't use Royal in their Instagram account, yeah. Sussex Royal. They hadn't warned them, they hadn't asked, they hadn't done anything, just put it up. And when they then said a very snide comment in return that uh, Royal means nothing outside of the United Kingdom and she can't stop that. I mean, I, I also blanched at that. I mean, it's so necess unnecessary mm. to be so rude about such an extraordinary woman who is, happens to be the uh, Harry's grandmother. And, and I think Harren was wounded. He was he couldn't believe his what he'd read, actually. Yeah. And I think that is really terrible. So whether they can ever make it up, I never think they'll do it properly. Well, I mean, if you're William now, you're not going to be in a great big hurry to call Harry because the last time he rang him, the week last weekend... Uh, they spilled it to uh, to Gail King, who then went and told CBS this morning about it. So why would you call him back? Yes, I mean, that's the thing. Um, talking about this private couple, Harry and Meghan, who left the royal family because they wanted privacy, don't mind about invading other people's privacy, whoever they are. And if you have an argument within the family, at the very beginning, everybody's a bit rough and you need to be calm and you need to keep it secret and you need to build on that. Mm. They've just blown it out of the water. And one imagines that there is something there that wants them to blow it out of the water because otherwise Harry wouldn't allow it to happen. No, exactly right. And the latest revelation, as if we didn't know, by the way, um, on the front page of The Sun this morning, that the, the wedding that she alluded to uh, three days before the real wedding um, is a complete and utter fabrication. And it was never true. Uh, and it's still not true. Yes. You have to see why that is. I mean, I think maybe Meghan got carried away with a sort of acting uh, screen-saving um, part in her, in her head that she wanted this to happen. So she made it happen in her head, but it hasn't happened in reality. Um, I also thought that she just loses all control and lashes out and tells lies in the hope that nobody will follow it up. Yeah. But we're all intelligent. We're all going to... I wondered how the Archbishop of Canterbury could actually do that in three days. It didn't make any sense right. to me. And without the um, people who, who were witnesses. Um, and I think that makes you feel very strange about lots of things that she said. But the interesting thing as well to me was Prince Harry who was only allowed like half sentences most of the time. And he said, yes, there was only three of us. Now he would know, Meghan can't, could pretend, she didn't know in the UK, you yeah. have to have two witnesses. That's very doubtful. But Harry knew perfectly well that they have to have two um, witnesses, so which would mean five people. So why did he lie? My only answer to myself is that he's terrified of oh, Meghan. Oh, I think so. I don't think there's any question. To, 
he has to agree with her, even if he's lying about something so obvious mm. is wrong. It's absolutely tragic. Well, similarly, uh, the conversation that we had uh, last time we spoke about CBS running the picture of his mother, which no British publication or British broadcaster would ever run, of her effectively lying dead or, and or dying in the back of the car in a Paris tunnel. And I'm sure that if he even brought it up with her, she would have said, well, we're doing it with Oprah Winfrey and she works for CBS, so that's the end of that. And that would be the end of the conversation. You can clearly see where that goes. Yes. I mean, unfortunately, poor man, and I feel sorry for him in this respect, that he has to do what he's told yeah. now. He was... I mean, talk about... I mean, it's kind of ironic that he was saying his brother feels trapped. I mean, I can tell which one's more trapped than the other. <laughs> yes. But also, he was second always to William mm. because William was heir to the throne, and that annoyed him. Annoyed him. But he's in a much lower position with Meghan, much lower. Yeah. And, and um, you can see the worry and the tension on his face, and that he always stops the minute he, the second she tells him to. I mean, other people would say, "Well, hang on a minute." Mm. Um, let me carry on, but he, he doesn't even try. No. I mean, it's never nice to see a couple where one is somehow controlling the other, whichever way round it is, and, and it's kind of uncomfortable to watch. And it was very uncomfortable when she basically shut him down a couple of times and sort of did that thing with her hand where she sort of put it on him yeah. as if to say, down, Shep, Quiet. you know. I mean, he's like a dog. Yes. I mean, yes. My, my, I mean, Ziggy, my dog, gets better treated than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't got a dog, so I don't have to worry about that. But um, I, I think that's right. Uh, it is. It. I find it very uncomfortable, especially having spent a lot of time with him, where he was lively and charismatic and charming, with a mischievous twinkle in his eye. All those things um, that made him so appealing and so popular. But uh, he's lost his popularity, and that is because he looks terrified and we are uncomfortable with someone who's quite obviously uncomfortable with themselves and doesn't know what the right thing is to say all the time. Well, that's right. And Sussex Royal, I was saying, I was talking on Talk Radio on Patrick Christie's show yesterday, it's kind of one of those phrases that sounds like a cheap knockoff shout, uh, sort of gin that they're trying to sell to Americans, you know, Sussex <laughs> Royal, you know, it'll make you feel, lift your spirits or something, you know. And it's still there. I mean, in the Sunday Times piece, it talks about how there's still stuff on that website. There is still a Sussex Royal website. And they're still yeah. calling themselves the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. I mean, surely that should stop, shouldn't it? Well, that's a matter of Parliament, actually, if they'll take those uh, titles away. I do think they should, though, aren't I? But you are dealing with a very, very tough couple who are surrounded by very, very tough PRs and very, very tough lawyers. And every little detail, as we heard with Megan complaining that she had to look up on Google how to sing the national anthem, every little thing remains with this team uh, led by Megan, and um, they will fight to the death. She has to win. She's mm. got this incredible um, demand in her, on herself that she's got to win and she's got to be top. That's why she couldn't take it. I mean, as it said in, in the piece in the Sunday Times, that um, you can't actually just think of yourself when you're a member of the royal family and when you're doing good work. You have to be devoted to the cause and you have to understand it. Well, Harry understood it perfectly well. Yeah. Meghan says she didn't and, you know, 
possibly she didn't or she didn't want to. But Harry does know, and it must, I'm sure, cause him pain in the middle of the night when he wakes up of what have I done, what am I, I, I doing? Why, why am I in the spare room again? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I think there's quite a lot of that going on as well, but little do I know. But the thing is, in the end, um, you know, the royal family is now going to move on. Um, the story appears to have kind of disappeared, really, doesn't it, in terms of some of these allegations. There will be a law firm looking into the, the, the bullying allegations, supposedly. Where, where do you think that's going to go? Well, I think there's also a diversity review, and I mm. think there's nothing wrong with doing that. Right. I mean, it'll take a while, it'll cost money, but I think um, there's it, no harm in doing that and checking where you are, because sure. um, the Queen has been there a very long time, and a lot of us have changed our attitudes to people who are, you know, disabled or um, minorities, mm. and I think that's a good idea. But I suspect that the lawyers will take their role very, very seriously indeed and come out with something which is uh, quite bland, but with a few very strong points. But I don't think you can control the anger that Harry and Meghan have got by saying the lawyer says this, what will happen is their lawyers will then say that and then the lawyers will say this. So it'll just run on and on. And I think the royal family absolutely don't want to do that. But I think with a couple like this surrounded by a very aggressive team, they're going to have a very hard job, which is why we're seeing more of the royals now and the things that they're doing and the care that they're showing and, and the selflessness that they're showing. Um, because that's a way of fighting in silence, but with dignity. Mm, I think so. And dignity is in a bit short supply on the other side of the Atlantic. Um, I see that there were pictures of, uh, of Harry and Meghan driving the Range Rover, which they have, uh, which is a carbon copy of the ones the Royal Family have. 170,000 quid's worth of Range Rover, by the way. Uh, and he's also been papped on a bicycle. Um, and as a friend of mine just said, you know, imagine going to California and getting having a picture taken by the paparazzi. I mean, it's probably one of the least private places you could have ever gone. Yes, he wasn't wearing protective hat, actually, which is no dear. Um, legal here. Well, yes, but I mean, they it's just probably showed... not. It's probably not required in California because I mean, in California up until I think relatively recently, you can still ride a motorcycle without a crash helmet. Oh, really? Okay. They love their they love their freedom there. Yes. Well, um, or somebody said that um, the paparazzi were told that he was going down a road. I mean, it's it was a very nicely posed photograph, wasn't it? I mean, you can't tell. That's unfortunate when people do all these things of getting their own um, photographers and reporters there, how much is manipulated. And it didn't look as this was a photograph caught while he was cycling by. I mean, he... No, that doesn't happen. I mean, I used to know an awful lot of the paparazzis that worked in California, worked in L.A., um, and they had a great network of informers and a great network of people, PRs that would tell them stuff. And, I mean, it used to happen here a lot as well. I mean, not so much now because nobody's going anywhere, but there was always a time. I mean, I always used to say, if you're a celebrity and you want to avoid the limelight, don't go to the Ivy because that's where the snappers are. You know, you can, there's, outside. I mean, there's hundreds of restaurants you go to where nobody would know you were there, you know? So yes. it's all it's all it's all a little bit on the fake side, I fear. It's all the false privacy, isn't it? Yeah. But did you notice that um, Harry did a um, a start, a small start introduction to a book for children yes. who'd lost their parents, mm. and he wrote that um, it, there's a there's a huge hole inside me when, when I once I lost my yes. mother, but with time, love 
and comfort um, does ease it. Well, you don't see that in him at all. I mean, he's still um, anguishing about his death, which is fair enough. But William has tried to make it positive, so to do things that his mother wanted, but in his own way, and to work hard and to be dignified and and to be a good father, because she was a very good mother. Mm. She loved her children. And I think you've got that um, there as well. There is a rumor that the draft was sent back to him because he said, and imagine how you'd feel if you had to walk behind a coffin with millions of people yes. watching would have been completely inappropriate. Oh, I think so. I think any parent would have absolutely been against that as much as they possibly could be. But in a way, that sort of illustrates how different the royal family were in those days, because I'm sure that wouldn't happen now. No. Well, Harry said that to me, that, you know, it, I know it wouldn't happen now, but it it, it, it was um, shocking mm. for them to do that to me. And, and there I feel great sympathy because yes. he's a little clenched hands. Yeah. And, Listen, I don't think there's anyone in this country, in the world probably, who didn't feel sympathy for, for Prince Harry for all yeah. sorts of reasons. But, you know, really, he's he's kind of, he's, he's taking that sympathy and throwing it under a bus, frankly. Yes, he's putting it into his bomb, isn't he? And that's the pity, yeah, exactly. Angela, <laughs> delightful to see you as ever. Thank you very much indeed. Angela Levin, real biographer, uh, talking about the weekend's uh, actions. And I think when we look back on this particular year for all sorts of different reasons, that piece in the Sunday Times, I think, will prove to be quite dynamic and it will prove to be quite devastating, uh, not only for um, the relationship that Prince Harry's got with his brother, but for Prince Harry himself and for Meghan too. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.